May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? Okie <laughs> dokie. Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome to the InsideCarolina.com podcast. It is the day after, therefore, the day after podcast. Wake Forest edition. Sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. JohnnyT-Shirt.com. With the day after comes the usual crowd of the, the speckled Jason Staples. Oh, we're all three um, wearing glasses today. I need mine to be able to see my computer. Jason's probably got his, you know, his fashionable readers on. Buck Sanders is like in my boat. Carolina 58-55 over Wake Forest in a wild one in Keenan Stadium. I will say that it was one of the more fun games to be at in Kenyon Stadium, a lot colder than it was last week in South Bend, it seemed like. But, Buck, Mac Brown said at halftime, I did go back and look, he said this one's going to be 59-53. He was almost right. What a wild one that Carolina comes out on top. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of times we'll start out at some point during the show, we'll say we've seen this movie before. Well, we saw the exact same movie pretty much uh, as we saw last year in Kenyon Stadium. Uh, what was it, uh, 59, 53 last year or something along those lines. Um, yeah, uh, I think it was, uh, one of those games that you can't expect. It came out a little bit. Um, a couple of things were different about this game than I expected them to be. Um, I didn't expect, uh, Josh Downs to get shut down the way he was in, in this game. Um, they held him to only four catches. I think he had eight targets and four catches. Um, I didn't really expect uh, North Carolina to come up with two really nice interceptions. Uh, really good. It wasn't just – well, Sam Hartman is not going to throw a wounded duck out there or just a bad ball. I mean, there was good plays made on those balls to come down with those interceptions. And the second one really, really made a difference. Uh so there's a couple of things there and Wake Forest never loses a turnover battle. They haven't this year. That's why they're eighth or we're 10th in the nation. So a little bit different, um, uh, in some ways, but the, uh, the top line numbers were the same in this one. Jason, I was going to lead with that. I was going to say, if you knew Josh Downs had, um, what do you end up with? 35 four yards, four catches for 35 yards. On it, one stat says 10 targets. I'd have thought Carolina got whipped, but it goes to show the evolution of Carolina's offense to be able to deal with that. Your overall thoughts on what we saw Saturday? Well, if you'd have told me that, <clears throat> I don't think it would have necessarily impacted my, my thoughts on what would have happened in the game because I thought, and we talked about this in the, on the uh, Game Plan podcast, I thought the, the key to this game was going to be Ty Chandler in the running game. And I would have wanted to know, okay, well, what did Chandler look like? Because I, I, I figured, I figure if a team's going to, going to focus on taking Josh Downs away. Oh, you know, he looked really good. Yeah. If, if Josh Downs is going to be four, four catches for 35 yards, that to me, knowing how good a player he is, is communicating that the defense did what they could to take him away. And now I want to know what was North Carolina able to do to, you know, what, what was the defense willing to give up in order to, in order to take downs away and how, how successful was Carolina there? And, you know, like we talked about earlier in the week, I thought this was a team that this was a defense that, that Wake Forest or in Wake Forest that, that uh, North Carolina be able to run the ball against and that, you know, they, they had a chance of being able to give up some big plays in the run game and they did. And it wasn't just turns out Ty Chandler. I mean, Sam Howell went over over hundred yards again, and, you know, Sam Howell turning into Lamar Jackson this year is, I think, the upset of the year. 
in terms of the most surprising development. He's always been a decent runner, but I mean, this is another level. And, uh, and you know, 330 rushing yards is really where this game offensively was won for North Carolina is they, they basically bullied Wake Forest up front and they were, they were able uh, with both Chandler and Howell able to make plays once they got past that second level. And, and that, that was really where the game was won on that side. And look, if you're able to run for 330 yards, you can, you can survive 35 yards from your top receiver. Indeed. And Chandler went nuts, 213 in the end on 22 carries. Um, of course, the, the game sealer run, I was kind of wishing he would sit down at the one-yard line Should on that have. last long run. Um, but it can't blame him for trucking it on in there and getting that last touchdown. The first four-game running back, four-touchdown running back day since Leon Johnson. That's been, been a while. It has been a while. You know, I wanted him to sit down for two reasons. One is that that's the smart play there. Secondly, that would have sealed it that the score, the score that I ended up going with on the game plan podcast would have hit. It would have been the exact score. I know I had 52 48 and it was 53 48 at that point, I think, or whatever it was, whatever the score was. I was like, sit down. <laughs> but we got to talk about the defense too. And I think we'll lead this show with the defense. We'll get back to the offense and Sam Howell. But we said, I think Joey said two or three stops um, and a turnover or two could win the game. I think if my math is right, Carolina had six stops of some form, whether it was a punt, turnover on downs, or an interception. Wake Forest had five. Some late night Pac-10 swack uh, football there, but Carolina got the stops they needed, especially in the second in the second the second half of the second half. So second half of the third quarter, I think in the last. 22 minutes of gameplay, Carolina outscored Wake 31-10. What flipped? Yeah, it's hard to say, Tommy. Uh, and uh, my official count and the thing that struck me more than anything was that um, Wake Forest punted once in each half. They punted twice for the game. We're going to have to come up with a new – if this defense doesn't improve, we're going to have to come up with a new stat, punts per game. Um and if, if you get the over, you know, five, you, you can go wild or something. Um, does it, does it, do we count the, the turnovers on downs, though, as, as, as better than punts there? Because they did go for it twice on, uh, on fourth down and not get it. So Yeah, yeah you can count those better than, than uh, punts, and you can count the interceptions better than punts. So, but uh, they ended more uh, Wake Forest possessions with as many Wake Forest possessions with uh, interceptions and with turnovers on downs as they did punts. So uh, that's pretty good. Uh, the four that they did uh, create outside of the punts um, were essentially all turnovers. You know, the uh, turnover on downs, change of possession on downs, the same thing really as the turnover in my book at least. Um, so what happened? Who knows? And you know, it's very, you know, for me, frustrating. And I, I think for a lot of people, because you can see some of the otherworldly talent on, on the UNC football team on the defensive side. Miles Murphy, Ritzy, uh, Conley, um, Eccles yesterday got some extended play and looked pretty good. I mean, was he would have been a good? Did he play as well as Gimmel? Um, I don't know. Well, Probably I not. You, I, can, I, I can tell you he played well, but this is an interesting, interesting thing to think about. Before Gimmel was ejected, North Carolina was giving up 5.1 yards per play on the game. After that, it after, got worse. I'm guessing. After, after Gimmel was ejected, they gave up 7.6 yards per play. Yeah. So, you're looking at a, at a Delta there of about 33%. They gave up basically 33% more yards per play after Gemmel was on the field after, or after he was ejected. So Eccles played well for a freshman, but we did get to see a little bit of some of those differences in well, terms of probably a, a good Gimmel bill is. of that is Gemmel getting the defense in position. Uh, yeah. 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 You got uh, to see the value of Gemmel on this defense. I think real cool, up close and personal there. But, but in any event, you, you can see their talent. I mean, and that's what's so frustrating for, for people is that you can see 
they got some guys over there that are physical freaks. Um, and for them to give up 650 yards and, um, the most points they've ever given up in a loss, um, it's very frustrating to see. And some of the things it just hurts my eyes to see that, um, camera shot of them getting ready for that third and one call. Um, they're all about five yards off the line of scrimmage, looking to the sideline, trying to get instruction about what to do next. And, and Wake Forest is about to snap the, the ball on a third and one. I mean, he can walk to third and one. So those kinds of things are extremely frustrating. Uh, bottom line, however, is they did enough, uh, to create a window of opportunity for the offense to win the game. And, and that was enough move on and, you know, go to the next game, which is going to be hard enough to do. So, uh, that's all where I'm at with that. You, you, that's my next over under, you know, we had some in the pregame and some on the game plan podcast It's going to be uh stops per game over under for the defense we'll start talking there about you go that. and um you know to the point you made there and jason i want to ask you about this carolina's outscored wake i believe it's 67 to 18 in the fourth quarter the past three years how much of that is any adjustments that they're making on the defensive side versus Carolina's talent level that Buck just talked about, talent and size, um, that is, they're physically superior to Wake Forest. Don't, don't mistake me saying they're better than Wake Forest. They're physically superior than Wake Forest. How much of that is what's leading to these fourth quarters for Carolina versus Bateman and his staff doing something differently that makes the difference? I'm just curious because I think it's some of both, but I don't think you can discount the fact that Carolina has just physically dominated Wake late in games, and that speaks to a lot of variables um, that are not necessarily on the X's and O's, I think. Yeah, I, I think there's, a, there's really three factors. There's a, there's a third factor that's really important when you, when you face a team like Wake Forest that does some things a little different, and they have kind of a funky approach that you have to prep differently for them, for their offense. I mean, they don't, they don't run a traditional offense. You've got you've to get used to what they do. And I think that's the other factor is it's a, it's, it's a situation where the guys that are on the defense start to kind of figure out like, Oh, okay. We've seen that before. And you can just react. Wake. I don't know if you saw this wake in the last, I think it's three years, four years is number three in the nation in uh, among teams scoring first scoring, um, scoring the first points of the game. Alabama's number one, Clemson's number two, and Wake Forest is number three. So Wake Forest scores first in more games than anybody except for Alabama and Clemson. That's kind of wild, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons for that is when you first play against Wake Forest, it's, it's sort of like playing, you know, Paul Johnson or some of these old, you know, offenses that not everybody runs and all of a sudden – you get out there in the first quarter, it's just you're trying to figure out like you've prepped, you've repped against it, but your scout team can't do it like they do it. Right. And they do it at such a speed. And especially with the the tempo that they run it at, all of a sudden you've got just a ton of stuff that you're that you're having to having to deal with that is just un, you're unaccustomed to. By the time you get into the fourth quarter, you're sort of on your fifth time through against the same pitcher. The whole lineup has seen the pitcher. They've seen his stuff. This is what the curve looks like. This is where this is where he locates it. And you've seen the stuff and the pitcher's getting a little bit tired too. And so you combine that with, okay, physical advantage, check. Some adjustments as the, as the staff also gets accustomed to, okay, this is how they're attacking us in this situation. This is what they've done the last couple of times. And you start to narrow that down. And the players now have seen 
that BP fastball over the inside portion of the plate a couple times and they didn't get it. They didn't catch it early. And now they're going to, now they're going to turn on it. And I think that's as much a factor as anything defensively is just letting those guys start to get used to what they're seeing and being able to react instead of thinking and that talent differential suddenly can manifest because, and this is, again, we've talked about this for some years now. This is why it's harder for young guys. The guy may be physically more talented, but physical talent only can manifest and can only be an advantage once that guy stops thinking and starts reacting and starts reacting correctly. Well, it's, it's that I think process that has been coming out late in games against Wake Forest for North Carolina is just, okay, they've been doing it this way. And you, you can see it. It's like they did this and there was this much separation or this much space in the first quarter. And then by the third quarter, it starts to narrow. And then by the fourth quarter, you got the defensive back jumping that route because he's seen it three times and he feels he, he's just intuitively he's there. And so I think that's a big factor as well. So it's, it's sort of a combination of the three, but I, I actually think that the, the element of just getting used to seeing what Wake Forest is putting out there might be the biggest one there. That's a, it's a great point. Go it ahead, is Buck. a great point. Can I, can I add tack on to this? What, Absolutely. Uh, Jason saying, I think another factor we ought to look at is North Carolina just seems to play better when urgency is required. Um, even in this game, uh, Jason turned me on to a, a different stat, uh, provider and, and they have, they break out your success rate on, uh, standard downs and whatever. And, and even in this game, North Carolina did much better in the later downs, uh, of a series than they do in the earlier ones. They do better on third down than they do on first down for whatever reason. And I think we'll have to, uh, let Greg this summer, if, uh, how turns pro, which he absolutely will, uh, we'll have Greg Barnes put Greg Barnes on looking at how Greg Howe did on in the fourth quarter of every game he played like last year, he was incredible. Um, and, and his first year, he was incredible. Once you got to the fourth quarter. The very first game he ever played uh, against South Carolina, he had two or three uh, touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Was it two or three, Tommy, in South Carolina? I think it was, it was two. They right? may have scored one right before the fourth quarter and then two in the in the fourth quarter. I, I, I don't know what it is. I think it's probably a lot to do with Sam Howell, but when the, uh, you know, when the rubber meets the road and it, it's time to really deliver, Sam more often than not did. And, you know, that's, uh, you know, one of the things that was disappointing this year, we keep talking about disappointments, but that's where we are. Um, in the, uh, Georgia tech and Florida state games, you kept waiting for Sam to catch fire. You know, he's going to sling one out there and North Carolina's going to catch up here in a little bit. Um, but I think that's also a Sam Howell trait. Um, he just performed better in the, in the fourth quarter and when uh, playing from behind in a lot of instances than he did for, as playing from ahead. It's fascinating. I mean, you mentioned Florida State or Georgia State and Florida State. I, I did the same thing sitting in Blacksburg, game one, waiting for him to just start going off against the Hokies, and it never happened. I, I think that – and he hadn't thrown a fourth-quarter interception his career until that game, but – you know, Jason, looking at – I'm going to stay on Carolina's defense a little bit. Looking here, um, Bateman was in the box as opposed to down on the field. Max said that's something they talked about. That's I can see for the YouTube people that you don't think it's relevant, but I want you to explain why it's not relevant. But also explain why we have the photos, photographic proof of them not being ready at the snap. Um, on several occasions, Greg Barnes highlighted one of them. Yes, they did what they had to do to win. Yes, they got stops when they had to in the third and fourth quarter or the fourth quarter. 
Um, but it's still the same stuff and they still gave up 55 and 600 plus yards. What is continuing to be the issue? I want to say it was because Gimmel wasn't out there, but they've been doing that with Gimmel's out there. What'd you see on those situations where they just not, were not ready for the snap of the ball against Wake Forest? Well, I mean, that's a, I, to me, that is a, a consequence of a team that goes very, very fast. And I mean, when Wake goes high tempo, they go as fast as any team in the country. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you got a team that's snapping it with say 28 seconds on the clock on the play clock left, you're going to get times where the defense isn't fully set. I've, I, I mean, I've watched more than I mean, more wake forest football than I, I probably should have this year. Uh, and, um, and that, that is something that you're going to see in every wake forest game from every defense and any team that's going to go high tempo at different points, they're going to get that every so often. I mean, that's the design of going high tempo. <laughs> when you, when you go warp, that's what you're trying to, to get. Um, so, so to some extent, that's just a factor of this era of hurry up stuff that inevitably that's going to happen a few plays and you you have to be able to handle it. We have talked in the past, and I still think that this is something that, that Carolina doesn't do as well. I think this, so, you know, that's the, well, you know, it happens to everybody kind of thing. On the flip side, this is where I think Carolina could fix some of this a little bit better in the sense that they need to be able to recognize that a team is going into warp mode a little bit more quickly and have a default call for that kind of approach, right? So, Again, going back to Mickey Andrews back at, at Florida State in the in the late '90s, early 2000s, our defense in Tallahassee had a rule: if we don't get the call in, or if you can't see the call, you're playing Jet Robber. That's 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 the call. <laughs> We've had this discussion earlier in the season. I yeah. remember you talking about. Yeah, that. yeah. If if you if we if we don't get a call in, if you don't know the call. If there's if the team hurries up fast enough that we that there's no possibility of getting the call, you're playing Jet Robert. <laughs> and there's there's a degree to which I think Carolina needs to be able to recognize, oh, they're running up to the line of scrimmage, and basically the defensive staff needs to have a warp call themselves. And I don't know what they're how they're exactly trying to do it in terms of signaling in for that that case it seems to me that what they're trying to do is still signal the, the standard defensive play when a team goes absolute warp speed i think what they're going to have to do is just have you know warp one warp one and then just everybody knows what that call is and you you just run the base the absolute base of that particular call whether that's you know match quarters whether that's you know jet robber <laughs> whether that's rip liz whatever you just run that call period and that you and, and so you get lined up and then if the team warps to the line of scrimmage and you're in that and then you see them do the whole warp, run to the line of scrimmage and you're already set and then they stop and they look to the look to the sideline and they've gone box call then you can change it that to me is what I'd probably do if possible. I don't, again, I don't know exactly how they're handling that, but I do think that this, uh, this concern is a little overblown. I mean, it does it frustrate me when I see defenses not set. Yeah. But it happens to Alabama. It happens to Clemson, right? It happens to Georgia. It doesn't happen to Georgia much this year just because nobody's gaining enough yards to get a first down to run up to the line of scrimmage in the first place. If you don't give up first downs, you don't, you don't have this problem, right? So, um, but it happens to everybody. That it, I, I, I do think it has happened more frequently with North Carolina by you know, a few percentage points than, than happens to some of the elite defenses. But I think some of that is a factor of being younger defensively. Some of that is, I think, signals sometimes do get in too slowly. And some of that is, you know, just it's going to happen to everybody. And then some of it is, I think they need to have a, you know, a, a core of one or two just base calls that is a, here's the default single call for the whole defense. If they're going fast, we're just going to signal this, period. And that's what you got. 
and there's no adjustment. You're just going to have this gap. You're going to have this gap. You're going to have this. And, and we're going to go with that. And you just get set. And then if they, if they stop and they go a little slower, then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to audible that call. We're going to check. That to me is the, is the only real solution for that because it's defensive football in this era is really, really hard because everything that offenses do is designed to get it so that you can't get your calls in. So, I mean, you got to remember even a few years back before they made it so that offenses had to wait after they subbed offenses would, would hurry up to the line of scrimmage, like, like wake forest does. And they'd sub at the same time. (laughs) So you have two or three guys running off the field and then the defense would try to sub and they'd be caught with like 13 men on the line of scrimmage because just because they're trying to match the offensive subs. And so they changed that. But aside from that, it's as hard now to defend as it ever has been in, 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 in the game because you've got so much that you're, that you're dealing with on the one hand, while teams are willing to go so much faster, no huddle, and force you into situations where all of a sudden you've got to get a call in immediately and your players have to get the check-in and your players have to get lined up and all of this against something that maybe they haven't seen. Uh, so it's hard. They're going to have to figure out a way to do it. They're going to have to figure out some solutions. And like I said, I think the, the best way forward is you just got to have a default call that this is your base, maybe two default calls, depending on what personnel you have on. So if you're in this personnel, it's this. If you're in this personnel, it's this. And then that's your go. default call and go. When in doubt, play man. All right. <laughs> I'm going to take a break. Talk about Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Great friends of Inside Carolina. They are the best place to get your gear. Uh, they came out and visited the tailgate, Inside Carolina Live tailgate show out in the Bowls lot yesterday. They provide us with a, a lot of cool swag. Um, they provide Inside Carolina premium subscribers with that 10% off the order you get. It's a good day to have some cold weather gear out there yesterday. I'm sure Wofford game will be the same way. And if you're going to Pittsburgh, it'll be a good time to get your Johnny T-shirt order in so they can get it to you by the time you leave. Uh, like I said, great friends, great customer service, anything you could possibly want. Of course, basketball season is here. They've got plenty of basketball gear as well. National guys are going to pay the bills. We'll be right back. It's the day after Wake Forest edition. That's Buck, Jason, I'm Tommy coming at you in just a second. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina. I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And the thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor each batch is in triple filtered giving it a smooth clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite guys i've been using it recently with some soda water fruit juice little lime juice it's great for tailgates it's light it's smooth and it's an award-winning premium vodka from north carolina local and family owned and it's available once again in all 100 counties so head to your local abc store to check out blue shark vodka It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. All right, Buck, I said the good, bad, and ugly. We've kind of muddled it a little bit, but um, let's get the ugly out of the way. What was the ugly for you yesterday? I know what it was, but I don't want to be that guy, and it has nothing to do with anybody wearing navy and Carolina blue. Um, Since when have you not wanted to be that guy, Tommy? I don't want to be that guy that's going to complain about stuff that you can't control, and clearly nobody can control it, but I will leave it unsaid. But, yeah, I think I think we're talking about the officials, the zebras here, or, or we're not. Absolutely. I, I love so zebras. I love the zebras. Yeah, so I just bad. don't like the humans wearing zebra stripes. You know, again, uh, I get asked this question a lot about uh, complaining about officiating. Uh, you know, when do you do it? You know, how do you get away with it? What's the protocol or that you follow when you're talking about officiating? 
I try not to do it after losses. You know, when UNC loses, I try not to, you know, peg officiating to it too much. Um, but, and, and it's not just this UNC game yesterday. We're not just talking about UNC versus Wake Forest yesterday. Just as a rule, uh, ACC officiating is, is the worst I've seen it in a long time. I mean, it's horrendous and it makes the we, league look terrible. It, it does. And, horrendous. and, you know, it's, it's not just UNC people inside Carolina people complaining about, uh, officiating for UNC games. Um, it, it, it's, I don't know what's changed, what's happened. I know a few years ago, they went into some sort of arrangement with, uh, a group of five conference. It might've been the sun. I, I forget who it was, uh, so that they would, uh, exchange crews based on a geographical location of the game or something, but it's bad. And, and it needs to be addressed. And I mean, some things like, uh, even, uh, the pure and holy Greg Barnes complained about uh, an officiating call yesterday, the Ty Chandler fumble, you know. Uh, Unreal, man. And we had, what did we talked about in the game plan podcast that they need to, you know, make sure they don't turn it over, hold on to the football, no fumbles or whatever. And literally the first plate from scrimmage, you get that. And it's an obvious overturn. They leave it. Yeah. And then, and then the, the one that I thought was even more egregious than that to me, just the visual of it was the, uh, wake nose guard running into, oh. uh, uh, Kieran Johnson's knees and going underneath him and, and submarining him and they call Q for holding and, and that call back a touchdown. Did it not if I, two, point point conversion. Conversion. two point conversion? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's unreal. What the hell people? I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, you can't get that right. Um, I think here's so what I, I, I don't know how you address it. I, I, well, and, I don't and, know. And, and don't forget the, the AT, uh, the, the touchdown uh, where AT he's just Perry touchdown where he is fully extended. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. he's got his, he's got his hand on the shoulder pad of the, uh, of, uh, Kelly who Cameron Kelly, who was in, in chase holding him at you know is a full stiff arm to be able to catch that now look i'm i'm a former wide receiver i'm gonna tend toward like all right good play yeah i also am a former wide receiver coach right i coached my guys and i learned you never fully extend your arm because you know as soon as you do that that's gonna be you're gonna call it every time only they're not not in this case he's yeah. running he ran 10 yards down the field with his hand on his shoulder pad made a great one-handed catch but it only had to be one-handed because he had his hand on the defender it's like you cannot have a more obvious push off in that case than that and it and I watched and I was like, well, maybe the official had a bad angle. And then I watched and then I watched the replay standing right there. there, literally <laughs> staring at it. And I'm going, okay. How, I mean, how do you miss that? Yeah. And, and you, and you know, I, I get the part where once the game's over with the league office, can't go back and say, wow, you know, we, we blew that one. We probably cost you all the game. So sorry. Uh, we can't play it over. We can't change the result. You're stuck with it. Um, I, I get that part, but there's gotta be some middle ground where they provide some accountability, you know, and, and, and they have done a, you know, a few times when it's been like, and I can't even hardly imagine it being worse than it was yesterday, but in some cases they have suspended a crew, um, you know, for a couple of games or what have you. Uh, but, uh, the league office, if they have done something like that this year, I haven't heard about it. I haven't heard the league office suspending a, uh, a crew this year, uh, for blatantly, blatantly missing calls. But, uh, but you, you, ha you can't imagine it being worse than, than what you saw in the Carolina game last night. You so you didn't watch the, uh, I watched the some NC of the Florida state. Game. You didn't watch any of the NC state, Florida state game then, did you? <laughs> 
I, I saw watched, some. Yeah, of it. I watched some of it. Yes, it was worse. Yeah, it was actually yeah. worse. You you had there. I can think of three plays right off the top of my head where there were two pass interference plays by the same player. Actually, twenty four on uh, on NC State, where he arrived like a full quarter second before the football got there. I mean, full contact. I saw one of those. Yeah, I mean, it's in front of three yeah. officials, and gets called for neither, and then. Uh, fourth quarter and you know, Florida State's not going to win that game either way. So, I mean, this doesn't matter. I mean, right. It's, they're still going to lose that, that game given the quarterback situation that they had yesterday, but fourth quarter, the, the uh, their final uh, opportunity to, to drive, to try to tie or, or, you know, put themselves in position to at least have a shot. Mackenzie Milton, their quarterback rolls out, tosses the ball forward and takes a clear crown of the helmet to the helmet out of the pocket gets just walloped literally Mm -hmm. 12 feet in front of the official who is trailing the play. Milton stays down on the, on the field, looks for the flag, turns around to the official and you see him go like, are you serious? And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, the booth will call down on that. And they let the clock run down inside 10 seconds. Just, I think they were expecting like, obviously there's going to be a targeting call. Nope. Nope. I mean, it was, it was exactly what you expect. And then, I'm sitting there going, okay, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. I just saw Jeremiah Gemmel get, get, get kicked out of the game. He got ejected for a targeting call where what are you supposed to do on that play? I mean, I get targeting. I, like, I get the reason for the rule that they want to make it look like they're, you know, being that they care about player safety and all that. It's all, all about the optics and all that. But like the Gemmel play is not what that play was designed to stop. And yes, he could have kept his head up just a little bit better on that. But you have two guys who are going down to the ground and just have essentially incidental contact between helmets. And Gemmel's head is a little lower than it needed to be. You know, he's probably two inches lower on the crown of his helmet than it should have been. So he gets ejected. And then you have literally the play that this was designed to, that the rule was introduced for where you have a quarterback running out of, the, you know, in a vulnerable position, throwing the football, takes the crown of the he- crown of the helmet to the helm to the head. And that's not called. And I looked at this and I'm going like, look, I would w- love to send these two plays to the ACC and go. So as far as consistency among your crews on basic calls, how are teams supposed to prepare for this? And you know, the answer you would have gotten from the league office is sorry. You know, My thing I mean, is, is that state targeting, that call on McKenzie Milton's relevant because he would have been out for the first half against Wake Forest. Uh-huh. That's the biggest game in the conference coming next weekend. It's, it's, ama- it's amazing to me. And Now, I will say, I talked to the, uh, the head of ACC officials. By the way, ago. NC State can thank UNC for a couple of things while they're <laughs> at it. You know, uh, Christian Bill Smith on the sideline. Yeah. I think a couple of other Wake Forest players may be missing for the – it was a physical game, game. So, uh, but but I did talk to the, the head of I did talk to the head of ACC officials uh, probably about a decade ago. It's about what 2010 something like that, uh, and I asked him like, "What is the deal with the uh, with the officiating in this conference? Like, why why is it so consistently subpar?" And he was very honest with me. I was surprised. He said, "Look, every time we get really talented young officials like our best young officials get poached by the nfl immediately we can't keep them so essentially the problem is it's pay that the acc especially given location and given you know where a lot of nfl teams have their their stuff essentially the acc has not funded their officials well enough that they can keep their quality officials consistently and so what happens is they kind of get their third choices across the board in uh, in terms of this and there's you know some guys are just better are going to be naturally better they're going to see things quicker and all of that and those guys get poached and they they move out outside the ACC pretty quickly so that I thought was interesting I mean that's something that he said a decade ago and that's probably true now and this is something I don't think it's a matter of accountability. I don't think suspending a crew actually really does anything because look, these guys are trying to get it right. I mean, you got to remember I, my dad was an eight, was a, uh, was a big 10 official for a number of years. So 
I mean, I, I, I grew up around some of those, some, some of these offici officiating conversations and these guys do their dang level best. I mean, they do everything they can to get things right. I mean, they're trying to get things right. That's their objective. Oh. The problem is that some of these guys aren't very good at their jobs. And so, you know, there's no amount of accountability. It's not a matter of uh, now. I mean, it's possible, especially given how popular gambling is that, you know, maybe you do have some, some things you had it in the NBA a while back and probably still do that. Maybe certain things are, are, are affected there by, by certain guys, but overall, I think these guys as a rule are trying to get things right. Mm. It's just, that it's, it's a matter of more incompetence than it is a lack of accountability on you know that. last week i was giving jason a hairy eyeball and now tommy's giving yeah. it to you yeah, yeah you, i just you, don't you're kind of getting used to that now aren't you oh i'm i'm, I'm plenty used to it but the thing is to me <laughs> my you thing don't, is i don't you think don't... you could suck so bad without trying at some point oh uh, look you do, do never <laughs> underestimate the, the the human capacity for incompetence my my um, issue is with the reviews Right. Well, the, the review, yeah, that I, I, the Chandler, the fact that the Chandler call wasn't overturned on review is still boggling to me. The targeting but, reviews, the, the targeting reviews. review too. Yeah. The, 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 well, the targeting rule needs to be changed just so that you go to a, a two tier system. Okay, fine. Targeting 15 yards guy stays in the game because clearly Gemmel was not targeting his helmet to try to hurt the guy. Okay. You know, that's a flagrant two. You got a flagrant one. The guy gets ejected. Fine. You know, I think that's the way that this should be. You fix that rule, you fix the rule and, and the enforcement gets a lot easier on that. And I know they don't want to have judgment come into, into play, you know, oh, intent or whatever. It's hard to judge every sport. Everything is always judging that. So you just got to get over it and do it. But the thing is what the ACC needs to do if they're going to have better officiating is not about accountability or suspending crews. They're going to have to pony up money to pay officials more to get better officials to, to do their games. It's just as simple as that. Well, in the, in the NFL, it's an actual profession, right? Yep, right. These guys work year round. Um, this is all they're due. This is what they do for a living. Um, you know, at the college level, you have guys that are attorneys, dentists, uh, you know, uh, stock brokers, what have you, uh, that are out there doing it as a weekend kind of gig and that's it, you know? So, you know, I, I think at some point, uh, college football has to bite the bullet or individual conferences do and say, you know what, we're, we're going to have to move to some sort of, uh, you know, full-time full pay, make it a profession, uh, in, in order to get this right, because, you know, sooner, well, it's, I'm sure it's happened multiple times before now, but it's going to cost teams like millions of dollars at some point, you know, yeah. when. They, you know, they, they all of a sudden they're playing in the ACC turn, uh, championship game, like arguably North Carolina years ago, or, um, you know, the SEC or whatever, and a bad call could cost them the game. And yeah, so you know, they need to go to some sort of move towards some sort of full-time arrangement. I think that's the only way you cure it. And it's not like the money's not there. Exactly. I mean, if you look at the, the article this week in the, uh, that, that was on all the dead money that universities are paying coaches who aren't coaching, what is it? A quarter billion or, or no, it was a, it was half a billion dollars, I think in, uh, in, in money that uh, over the past, what it was it past decade or whatever that has been paid out to coaches, not to coach. Like, look, you could take a fraction of that and pay officials and you get a much better product by getting guys out there that are actually good at their job. And, uh, and what the ACC really needs to do is they need to come to an agreement with the SEC and a couple of the other regional Southeastern conferences and say, look, we need to get together, have a unified system here between our conferences and pay the officials. And then we're just going to work it this way. And at that point, you put the money toward it. You have guys who are actually good at their jobs. You pay them enough that they're, that they're going to be content, uh, that they're going to be incentivized to consistently work on their craft or they're going to be out. And I think you, you get a better product, but there's no way of getting a better product with the way that they're doing. Yeah. Uh, in, in fairness, Rucker was all sides. Yes. But, but here, here's my deal. And this is the last thing we're going to say about this. I lost all faith in ACC officials after the 2015 ACC championship game where I personally showed the screenshot 
that everybody knows on the onside kick to an official that was in that game. And he said, dude, he's clearly offsides. I said, which one? He was like, that whole side's offsides. I, I agree with him, actually. I, 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 I actually, I, I think that on, they were, I think they were offsides. And, and, and the reason I, I say that, and I know I'm going to get, Hate I'm going to get dragged. I'm going to get dragged for this. I got dragged for it then. Jason I at actually, InsideCarolina.com, not Tommy yeah. at InsideCarolina.com. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I went back and I looked at that because you have to, you have to account for the difference in angle with where the camera is because it's not straight down the line. As soon as you actually do that, and there's ways to do that with, uh, with geometry, looking at that, there's about four guys that are offsides there. And it's just, it's just the way that it is. And I can show you that the image that once you actually make the image correction for the angle where that comes out, it, it was that there are dozens, there are hundreds of egregious calls that you can go to, to lose your faith in ACC officiating as close as that one was. I actually don't think that that one was one of them, but Fair enough. Again, I'll get dragged on this again. I got dragged on it in 2015, even though I, I provided the, the photo evidence. And it is what it is. But. I said I lost the faith. That's when I that's when I became the guy that bitched about the official. Excuse the language. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's let's turn to um, wrapping up this show since it is the Inside Carolina podcast and not the ACC ref, referees are terrible podcast. Uh, but every podcast. Yeah, really. Uh, but looking at the outcome of this game, Carolina's virtually assured themselves of being bowl eligible. Um, what are your expectations, A, going into Thursday, and A and B for the rest of this season for this team? I think we've clearly seen that this is a team that can be good and can win. Um, sometimes those are mutually exclusive. Uh, but where do you see the program right now going into Pittsburgh on Thursday night and looking down the road against Wofford and NC State, what, what are your expectations here? Well, let's take Wofford off the table. North Carolina's going to beat them, right? I mean, that's just the way that's going to go. The only question there is how much do they leave Sam Howell in so that he can put the uh, total offense record so far out of reach that nobody will ever be able to get close to it. Um, but Pitt, I, I uh, that game, North Carolina is going to have to defeat, uh, like five or six of its tendencies to win that game. Uh, they haven't played well on the road this year at all. Um, it's a, uh, they're, they're having to fight, um, nighttime, nighttime <laughs> at pit, uh, which they used to, they never lost at Pitt, uh, but recently they've, uh, a couple of times they've lost there. Um, they're playing on a short week. I think this is kind of a trap game. They haven't beaten two power five teams back to back. I think Moses was, a, you know, uh, in short pants. And uh, so it's, it's just, uh, there's got everything working against them in this game coming up against Pitt. Kenny Pickett is still getting, um, some, uh, discussion about the Heisman trophy. He's having a great year. No question. Um, North Carolina's pass defense, if anything is just as bad or worse than a run defense. Uh, in fact, the uh, Hartman would really, they got way more yards through the air than they did on the ground. The good news is they've got storm duck back who, you know, we, we talk about this all the time. One player doesn't really make much difference, but I thought storm made a lot of difference. And when he was in, I don't think they'd uh, have won the game without storm duck. Yeah. So, uh, you know, he makes, he makes a big difference and. That was his first game really playing uh, in like almost two years. So that's a help. But, uh, you know, I picked Pitt uh, to beat UNC when we were doing our prediction show, which that's not evidence of anything because we were all 100% wrong about everything uh, there. But let's face it, we're in good company. I mean, this past weekend, uh, eight top 10 or top 25 teams lost and 
there was already, they'd already set a record for the most, uh, ranked teams to lose in a season, like three weeks ago. So, uh, nobody has been able to figure out anything about college football this year. Uh, so if, if you're asking me how they're going to do against, uh, Pitt, anybody's guess is likely to be as accurate as mine. NC state. It's so hard to say. I'd favor favor Carolina with Storm Duck over that NC State team. I got to watch them both real close yesterday. I would. Well, I watched them both. I watched them both too. And the thing about NC State is, as um, crazy as it is to think this, they just don't have a running game hardly at all. Um, You know, their their running game is really weak. And now I know North Carolina's run defense is really weak. But uh, if, you, if you're going to match North Carolina up against a team and, and try to match them against a team where their uh, weaknesses uh, match up pretty well with the other team's weaknesses, um, you, you would probably pick NC State. I mean, that, that, that game could go either way. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that defense is missing um, Peyton Wilson and they're missing Isaiah Moore who may have been even a better player than Peyton Wilson. Um, so, uh, they're not as stout defensively as they were at the start of the year. We'll see. Um, but it's, it's predicting anything at this point in the year by anybody. It takes somebody a whole lot crazier than I am to get on that limb. Hey, I, I, I picked them winning out in August. Um, I'm not going to back off that great prediction. Jason, close the show. Um, how big, how important was this win? I, I don't care how they got it. They got it. How important important was it um, for Mac Brown, his staff, and these players? Well, um, what, what's Mac Brown's record against, uh, against in-state opponents? It's like he's 23 out of the last 24 against in-state opponents. And you go back to Mac 1. I mean, gosh, it's ridiculous. I'd take that percentage if yeah. I were a betting man. Yeah. And how, how, how is this program, how is the Carolina program going to continue to advance in terms of moving towards the, the goals that, that everybody around North Carolina wants? You have to oh. dominate in-state and you have to dominate in-state recruiting first. Well, you beat Wake Forest, you beat Duke, you beat NC State, and you take care of that that business in state, and you and, and you basically continue to build that this is the flagship program in the state, and that goes a long way towards doing that. This is a very important win for that. It it does not help you when you start the season in the top ten, you drop out, and then Wake Forest just up the road is going. You know, guys, you want a good education, you can come here too, and you know. We're actually in the top. No, no. North Carolina came in and, and spoiled that and can, and still has the brand and other things that they can offer to some of these guys on the recruiting trail. I think that matters a lot. I think it also matters that you've, you've pretty much, as Buck said, you've pretty much guaranteed yourself bowl eligibility, which, which is 12 more practices that are really important for a young team. So I think that's all very important. The other thing though is, I mean, I wanted actually to talk a little bit more about Storm Duck on this podcast because I thought his addition to the secondary radically changed the defense. And yeah, I look at it, okay, fine. Wake Forest still scored 55 points and you go, (laughs) some radical change, right? But he didn't play the whole game, first of all. They're still, you know, he's still edging back a little bit, but he looked like the old Storm Duck. He looked like the guy that, that, you know, I'd expected to see all year. Not, he did not look like the tentative, you know, kind of careful to cut on that foot guy that played like two series against, against Virginia and gave up some catches. He looked like the lockdown shutdown corner that, that, that they've expected. And if you look at that fourth quarter, how did the game end? That fourth quarter, here's, uh, here's the, 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 the drives for Wake Forest. Three plays, one yard interception. Seven plays, 47 yards downs. 
six plays, 10 yards, turnover on downs, and then that final touchdown when basically Carolina was playing prevent, prevent and up 10. The difference there, how many times did they target Storm Duck with their, you know, with uh, AT, uh, what's Perry. his name? Uh, Perry. With AT Perry, where you've got a 6'4 wide receiver that, they, that they've been able to go to in those situations all year. They were able to do it earlier in the game against Carolina. But with Storm Duck on him, zero space, turnover on downs. And he's got such good length. That's right. It's the length. Well, it's and the thing is, it's not just the length, it's the length with the footwork and the fluidity to be able to, to maintain great position throughout. And the strength. I mean, he got his hands on him. And it's what you, the length allows you to get your hands on him. The strength allows you to actually stop his progress and to knock him off the route. And so you combine all that and he changes what they can do in the passing defense. So I look at this and I say that this, that this, that the way that they looked in the fourth quarter with storm duck on the field at that position, it also means something moving forward as they're about to play a pit team that can throw the football as they're about to play a rival in NC state. That also Who has is, big receivers that also has big receivers that they rely on to win in the, in the, uh, in, in the, in that jump ball scenario. And so this win doesn't just communicate to me the importance of winning a, a, a an in-state game. It's that it doesn't just uh, amount to getting bowl eligibility, even though it does that it demonstrates proof of concept to me that with storm duck on the field, this defense is about is liable to look pretty different in the final game, final three games of the season. We also saw some, the emergence a little bit of good Des, uh, Des Evans in this game. Yes, true. He didn't finish the sack on, uh, on that one, uh, on that one really good stretch he had, but Evans, I was watching closely when he was on the field, he was one of the guys that I kind of circled and I would, you know, use my rewind button, you know, between plays and take a look at this the way that I usually do. And that was the, that might've been the best game Evans has played in a Tar Heel jersey. And so if those guys start to actually flash the way that they need to, Carolina has every opportunity to, to upset Pitt. They should be favored against NC State, and they absolutely could win out and finish 8-4. and four. So that's the other significance of this game is you escaped, you won, Big, important game in state, but you also got some real confidence on the defensive side from some guys that need to be there for this team to be what it what it hopes to be defensively. And yeah, it's, you know, eight, 10 games, eight, 10 weeks after you'd hoped that that would happen. But and, and I, I know it sounds crazy after giving up 55 points that I'm going, I saw real signs of, of progress and life from the defense, particularly in the second half from some of the players and personnel that you really need to see take a step forward in order for the defense to be what they should be. I think that's, that's where a lot more of the significance of this result comes out. You, they, they can gain some real confidence from this and, and, and help put their per personnel in position, put some of the personnel they want to be out there in the position to potentially win the final three games. Yep. I'm glad you brought that up. Also shout out Ty Chandler. Great game on the mm -hmm. ground for Carolina. Um, and and we, we should talk briefly, if nothing else, about uh, Jason's uh, favorite wide receiver, Antoine Green. I mean, he stepped up uh, pretty well for North Carolina um, in, when they had did such a good job on downs. So and, and, he and delivered. Howell, Howell has clearly started looking for him. Mm -hmm. This was what I, I mean, I, this was my big complaint early in the year, as you recall is that, look, the guy's open, and he catches it when you throw it to him on a consistent basis. At a certain point, you got to start actually giving that guy opportunities, and he's, he's been given those opportunities the last couple of weeks and has actually stepped forward and, and made those plays. So, And again, that's a guy that, if, given his talent level, that's a guy who, if, he's, if he is playing to that talent level, changes the game for you offensively because now you can't just bracket Josh Downs. So shout out also to Justin Olson, who only had one catch, that but that was a heck of a catch. catch. <laughs> that was yeah, a heck there, of a catch. There's a tweet out there. I think Lee Pace tweeted it. Somebody else's photograph that I'm not quite sure 
you talking about a glitch in the matrix of how that ball got to him, but also how he was able to catch it. Uh, a lot of people have banged on Justin Olsen a lot. Uh, that was a huge catch for Carolina in the game. I don't think they converted the touchdown, though. But, yeah, I mean, guys are stepping up, and, and we're nine games in now, and it's a little late for, I guess, for the fan base and for the folks that follow Carolina, but it's not too late for the program. And those things, they're all building blocks, and they're all back. Relatively speaking, they're all back. But for Green, Green's not back, is he? I guess he could be, couldn't he? Is he, he a super think, senior? No, I think he's just a regular senior. I think he okay. could be. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you got you got a lot of a lot of growth that happens sometimes late in the season. Sometimes in November it happens. And Carolina's got the short week going to pit. It's a game I think they could win. They're gonna have to it's gonna be the same type of situation. You're gonna have to get stops, whether they're punts or turnover on downs or straight turnovers, interceptions, recover a fumble once in a while. Um, but, uh, you know, there is hope. Jason Staples providing the hope. Buck Sanders providing the realism and the optimism all together. And I'm just driving the car on Sunday morning. Spend the day after podcast. Wait for us edition. Carolina gets the win. Uh, virtually assures those extra practices and that bowl eligibility. Now we'll just see how far up the bowl ladder they can get with the remaining three games against Pitt, Wofford, and NC State. Gentlemen, it's always a pleasure. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.